You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Thank you, team, for leading us to worship. That last song we sang is the uh, title track of our new audio art album called We Are Not Separate. If you want to listen to that, you can go to circleofhopeaudioart.bandcamp.com. You can find it there. And it's also wherever you stream music, too. And it's also on our YouTube channel. Some people, I think, listen to YouTube like it's audio. So if that's what you do, you can do it that way, too. Clearly, I don't. As, I've stu- as I stumbled through explaining that to you. We're going to start. I want to offer a message to you that I hope encourages you. I'm Johnny. I use he, him pronouns. But let's start with this passage from Luke 3. Donovan's our host. He's going to help somebody with a microphone read the passage out loud, which is behind me. So any volunteers? And by the way, people on Zoom, you can volunteer too if you can see it or if you want to look up the text. Uh, Luke 3, 15 through 22. So anyone want to do it? Unmute on Zoom or just raise your hand here. All right, Tokia. Tokia likes to read every week. That's good. You got it. Okay. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more, pow- one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat in his granary. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in, in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you, with you I am well pleased. Luke three fifteen to 22. Thanks, Tokia. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Today is theophany. We were remarking about that. That's a word they use in the Eastern tradition, which Brian was talking about as well. And we borrow from all the traditions. Theophany means when God reveals God's self to humanity. And we celebrate it today by remembering and and observing the baptism of Jesus. And here we receive the text from Luke. And it's in Luke chapter 3, right after he introduces the ministry of John the Baptist. Some people like to say John the Baptizer because Baptist means something different now. 
you know. So he's not like John the Southern Baptist, you know, just to make it clear to you. Um, John the Baptist is making a way for the Lord. We still have him up here because of Advent. Second banner here, you have John the Baptist. He's making a way for the Lord. He's clearing paths for Jesus. And as he did this, he baptizes those who repentant. John comes from the wilderness. John comes from the periphery, as Franz Fanon would say, the marginalized area to make a way for the Lord. And he's looking for people with prepared hearts to follow Jesus as Jesus comes and brings the kingdom of the Lord. And as he does this, he gives a strong impression to the people that are listening to him that he may very well be the one they're waiting for. He may very well be the Messiah. This speaks as much to the hope that this man brings the people because the people who are getting baptized, the people that want to follow Jesus are looking for hope and are looking for salvation and are looking for freedom. And that's a reminder for us that we move with those moved by the Holy Spirit. We're moving with those moved by the Holy Spirit. We're trying to find people that are looking for God instead of trying to convince people who aren't ready. Our job is not to convince. Our job is to find people that want to move with God. Evangelism means finding people who are looking for God. You know, collect, and, and that, that's, that's what sharing the good news is. And, and on the softened hearts that receive it and it plants in them, that's who we're looking for. It doesn't mean convincing people who aren't ready or getting into an argument with somebody who doesn't want to follow. It means finding people who are looking for God. And so the hope John brings has him considered to be a Messiah figure. He brings hope and they're looking for hope. But John seizes this opportunity, this mischaracterization, to clarify his role. The baptism that, and then he'll follow by um, explaining his baptism and then Jesus' baptism. The baptism that John offers is unique to the one that Jesus offers. John says, he baptizes people with water. And then he says, but one who is more powerful than me, one who has more power than I am, will arrive. So John creates a power hierarchy here, noting that Jesus is the one whom he serves. He's not even worthy to untie his sandals, a task fit for a servant. He's not even worthy to serve him. John's radical humility, John's self-debasement is in line with who he is, the sect of Judaism that he's part of. Maybe he's part of a group called the Essenes who are marked for their humility. They're simple, they're celibate, they have strict diets. John's humility makes a way for Jesus' glory even if John may not live to see that glory. So he's making a big difference here. John contrasts himself with Jesus in terms of baptism. Jesus brings a more powerful one, and it comes from with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
And in his baptism, John, uh, Jesus will separate the wheat and the chaff. Preston, do I have a slide of this? I don't know if I can manipulate it here. There's some chaff, and there's the grain, okay? You ever see this before? What we see here is the, the outer layer and then the stuff you can eat. And Jesus is going to separate those two and then burn up the chaff. The good stuff remains and is used for food and nourishment and then the useless stuff is burned up. Jesus has a winnowing fork in his hand. Ever see one of those? Do we have one here, Preston? Next one. You see those? Those people are doing that. Like a three-pronged fork that they pick up the wheat with and shake it up and the grains fall out to separate the wheat and the chaff. This is a metaphor for us to grapple with now. So here's, let's, let's, let's take this opportunity to do some dialogue. The question for us is, what, what does this mean? What is, yeah, you can turn it on. Let's get some talk back right now. What is Jesus separating here? Is this people separating people? Is he casting people into an unquenchable fire? Or is he doing something else? What do you think is happening here? What's the analogy in your opinion, in your uh, estimation? Anyone want to raise their hand on Zoom? You can unmute and talk. If you raise your hand, Donovan will give you a microphone so that you can speak into the microphone so that we can hear you and Zoom can hear you too. The Zoom room back there. There's about as many people on Zoom as are in this room. What do you think? I'll give you my take after this, but I just want to know, like when you, when you see Jesus with his winnowing fork separating the wheat and the chaff, who are the wheat, who are the chaff, or what is the wheat? What is the grain and what is the chaff? Any ideas? All right, Julius, let's get some participation. Come on. All right, so I think with Jesus's ministry, he tries to reprioritize people's focus uh, a lot like the way the uh, prophets of old did. So like, y'all think this stuff is important to God, but this is the stuff mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. really important to God. And the rest of that stuff is bull. And so I feel like it's a, you know, I don't know if you want to call it topics, focus, priorities, okay. tasks. Like, I feel like that's the chaff that he's burning up. In Jesus' ministry, he'll separate. He'll say, you're, you're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You cared about tithing dill and cumin. But you didn't care for the poor. You didn't care for the needy. So Jesus does that kind of separation. Julius is on to something. Anyone else want to say something here? I didn't prepare you for this, so it's okay, you know. Uh, I'll say something. All right, good. You got the mic, Don. Yeah. Don, uh, I, I never called I you Don before. Younger. Well, let me back up. You said, so this is all one part of the same plant? Yeah. I think that in my mind, I don't know when this happened, but like I remember hearing this story when I was younger and it was being described as two different plants. Like that is like, oh, this grows and you won't be able to tell the difference until it comes to, I don't know. You know That's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Oh, okay. So those are two different plants working together. Jordan, you said that too. There we go. 
So, so that's I think that those two were merged in my brain, my middle school brain from youth group or whatever. So, what's that? Get on the mic. You can't talk unless you're on the mic, Brian. There's, I, I was just going to say, there's similarities. Like, I think there's a reason that they're, in our minds at least, they're often connected. I'd have to think about what the differences are. But, because, you know, it's talking about this like, sense of there won't be a, a way to differentiate until the harvest comes, right? Mm-hmm. Which is challenging and scary because, I don't know, are we at the harvest now or are we before the harvest still? waiting to discover if we're the wheat or the chaff. That's what I, uh, you know, a good guilt-laden Mennonite I'm always thinking about. Yeah, I guess that's what I was going to say is like uh, the, the wheat and chaff to me, it's like there are parts of us that might not make for good baked goods or whatever we're making of this, so that it needs to be separated out. So there's kind of a, a process where uh, something might be, you know, we're kind of shedding some old things. Or mm-hmm. So, I, that's, to me, that's what the contrast, I'm glad that this was clarified because um, I think the other one, the wheat and tear one, always gets uh, tricky for me, but this one make, makes me think a little bit more about it's a process that might happen within us and, you know, letting go of. Um, maybe bad ideology or you know that's what I'm talking about there like the, just things that like we gotta let go of it in the parable of the wheat and the tares Jesus says don't tear up the tares and the wheat before the harvest because you'll destroy the plants wait till judgment to come so we did that one this summer at Heartland Farm as I recall anyone else want to say something with non-binary people women because it was just men talking no, there's no pressure to do it. Just want to give you the opportunity. All right, during talkback, we'll focus on uh, women first. How's that? Men, non-binary folks. A lot of commentators suggest these are people. He's separating the sheep and the goat, the, the, the righteous and the unrighteous, you know, the, uh, the, the, the elect. <laughs> um, the people that are destined for heaven and those who aren't. Um, but as I look at this image, can we, like, Bryson, can we go back to the, the one with the separate? Yeah, when I, look at, when I looked at this this time, I thought, huh, something different, I'm getting something different here, so this is just a vibe, I'm just letting you know. Um, the baptism of Jesus purifies us whether we like it or not, it seems like to me. It takes the good from us and burns the bad. That can be a painful process, but that discipleship, that, that's the discipleship that following Jesus requires. Jesus is going to transform all of us into our truest and fullest self as we find our identity in Jesus, as we hide in Jesus. You know, Jesus is going to break himself open for you so that you might hide in him. You know, rock of ages cleft for me, let me find myself in the painful process. But he's going to transform each of us. And he'll transform the church in the same way. The revelator says every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Salvation for the whole world is coming, but not without a cost. Jesus will burn the chaff, he'll cut us like a sword. 
but Jesus will redeem all of us. But what's John doing before this redeemer comes, before this liberator comes? He's offering you an opportunity to repent now and be baptized. There's a, there's a path to restoration that John offers. You can voluntarily repent. You can move with Jesus. You can receive the baptism of water. Forgiveness is what we're after. Forgiveness is the, uh, the, the, the currency in which the divine economy operates. We forgive. Grace is how this works. Debts are released. People are restored. And we can choose to participate in that. But eventually God will move us to. John's baptism purifies us before the coming judgment of Jesus. If we read back through 10 through 14, John, uh, Luke 3, 10 through 14, which we did a few weeks ago, actually, when we remember John the Baptist during Advent, John is bringing the judgment of Jesus. He's calling people to repent. Who warned you of the coming wrath, he says to the people. He's warning people. When the time for repentance comes, and it will come, be prepared. And for Jesus is going to, going to include us all into this. Jesus is coming to, uh, if it takes Jesus fighting a war against evil to be saved, it, it's, it, it will have been worth it. He's going to do that. He's going to fight a conflict. He's going to wage war against death and save us. But before Jesus does war with sin and death, we can save ourselves from the coming wrath and save ourselves now. Repent and be baptized. Death will come. We're all, that's something that we are assured, right? Death will come. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're a sinner or a saint. It takes and it takes and it takes. <laughs> but we will all be redeemed. The time for repentance is coming for everyone, whether you choose to or don't. God will purify us. This is specific for Israel, too. In this context, John is saying, the, wheat, the chaff of Israel and the grains will be separated. And what follows is an example of that. Let's go back to the text, Preston. So he says this. He's burning the chaff, unquenchable fire. Then we get to this section, 18 through 20. Luke tells us that John continued to proclaim the good news to the people. And the above is good news. The repentance and judgment motif, the coming of Jesus is good news. It's good news for the oppressed, for the poor, but for all of us. Following Jesus is good news for everyone. And having our grain and our chaff separated is good. So John calls us to repentance and then the narrative pauses. And we get an example of that. Herod is called to repentance because he marries his brother's wife. And more than just this, 
crime that maybe was, uh, he, he did to collect more power for himself, quote, in all of the things, all of the evil things that Herod did. A historian, Josephus, documented John's arrest. And it's interesting because he notes the main reason John was arrested, was thrown into prison, was because he was seen as a political dissident who would cause a rebellion. But John bows to no ruler but God and to Jesus specifically. And, 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 and in Luke's account, it's a little unusual because John's up here, 18 through 20 happens. So theoretically, John's in prison at this point, if you're doing chrono chronologically. We know, because we read Mark and Matthew's account, and, and John will eventually baptize Jesus. Keep in mind, now this is just a technical point. In the latter half of the passage, 21 and 22, John is not named as the baptizer. It just says, and now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized, passive voice, there's no, the subject is hidden because John's in jail. That's how this passage kind of works. But I have a hard, I'm, in my reading of it, John's doing the baptism here and Luke just put 18 through 20 here. That's what I think happened. But the narrative flow still works. It's a little clunky, but it's still there. In 18 through 20, you see an application of John's ministry. That's the point. By rebuking Herod, he offers him an opportunity to repent. But he doesn't take it. And I want to note that this portion of the passage shows us an important point. And Luke interrupts himself to make the point. And notably, if you care about the details, we're following the lectionary, which is a, a series of readings that churches, mainline churches mainly, uh, use. It doesn't include 18 through 20 in this, in this week. But I added it all because it felt like the whole story needed to be told. So I broke the rules. Can you believe that, Jordan? I oh, yeah? <laughs> it demonstrates a rejection of the opportunity that John offers his disciples to repent. I want to go back to the theophany here. In repentance, in separating the grain and the chaff, we are helping showcase God to the world in our bodies. There's a dog here. In our lives and in our churches. We are the church. You reflect God to the people around you. And as a result, you are an, a theophany on your own. You reveal God to others when they meet you. You are the theophany in and of yourself. So then now Jesus enters the picture in the second, the third part of the passage. And he enters into it just like all the other people are baptized. He acts like the others. Jesus, who we get introduced to in the beginning of this passage, he's extolled as one with matchless power, supreme above John, John's unfit to untie his shoes, becomes just like everyone else. That's the story of the incarnation in the gospel. Jesus comes to earth to be like us, to relate to us, to, to bring heaven here. And he brings his ministry 
in the same way that we're all baptized. Jesus humbles himself here. And in other accounts, this humility is more pronounced. And when he baptizes and when he prays, and Luke's the only gospel where he prays, the theophany happens. Heaven opens up. The Holy Spirit descends. Just like Jesus has. Heaven celebrates. A voice, his father, names him as his son, his beloved, the one in whom he is well pleased. And this utterance commissions Jesus into ministry. It borrows two phrases from the Old Testament. Let's go to the last slide, Preston, where I have these two texts. From Psalm 2-7, where a king is decreed. I will tell you the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then the other one from Isaiah 42, when Isaiah is commissioned. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Those are the words that God offers Jesus in this moment, decreeing him as a king, commissioning him as a prophet. Jesus has his eyes set towards heaven, and he begins his work. That's what this repentance is about. This is how the forgiveness of sins occurs. That's how God is well pleased with us. God is pleased because Jesus participates in this ritual purification. God is pleased when we transform through the power of God. That's the thing I want to emphasize. Repentance is not just about her will to change. It's not just about having the muscles to do it or the skills to do it. But entering into a journey with the faith that God can change us. That when we turn, God will turn with us. That when we turn, God will move with us. We don't need to have it all together to follow. We just need to make the decision to do so. Get into the water. And God will help us. God will transform us. Our faithfulness to God is about our own humility. Just like John the Baptist. Just like Jesus demonstrates. Not our ability necessarily or even our belief. It's not just about what you can do or even what you believe you can do. It's about taking a step of faith and moving with God and having God transform you. We then move with the Spirit even when the cost seems high or difficult. Jesus and John's call is to turn, to receive the blessing, to begin the journey. The start of our ministries don't have to be complete. Jesus is, Jesus is just starting here. And he's entering into this time where he's going to redeem the world. He's just starting. And we can make the same choice today. We don't have to have everything sorted. We just have to have a posture towards what's next. If we desire, or even if you desire to desire, we're being good and faithful servants. Jesus is extolled by the Father as one in whom he is well pleased, one who he is beloved, just for this first step of the journey. Nothing else happened. It's Luke 3. There's a lot more chapters that follow. He made a choice. And now I am pleased with you. Good, you know, 
you're faithful, you're here, you're present. So when it comes to difficult matters of Christian discipleship, prayer, worship, participating in a cell, work in anti-racism, LGBTQIA inclusion, all of these things. Your desire and your will matters more than your ability to be faithful, than your ability to make it happen. And so if you feel hesitation because you can't take the step, because you're not sure if you can do it, you're not sure if you're up for it, you're not sure if our church can do it, we move with God, we trust that God will do something. And there are moments where it will seem like it can't happen. There are moments where the people around you will let you down. And there are moments where, where you won't be convinced either. But again, your desire, your will, and your faith matters a lot. Faithfulness and outcomes matter. But God will help us bring those. In time and in those moments, that's our prayer. We're looking for people who desire that sort of transformation. We're not saving them, that's the work of God. We invite, we encourage, and we share the good news with them. Everyone has a choice to make. Who are you going to be now? What are you gonna do now? What steps will you take? We have an opportunity to offer people a journey that they can begin. I have to say this to myself because I feel discouraged sometimes. I feel like we can't do it, I can't do it, I can't be faithful, our church can't be. Keep making the choice and trust that God will do something. When we're up against forces of death, when we're up against changing our, even our own personal transformation, there's going to be a lot of voices that discourage you and say you can't do it. Continuing to take a step of faith. Even when it doesn't, even when things look difficult. For me, that's an encouragement. I can do it again. Maybe God will do something. I need God to do something because what I'm, I need heaven to open up. I need something to change. I need to keep making the step. So I hope you can do the same. And when you do receive that you are faithful because you did. And I hope that you hear that voice of God and that someone else might even see you as a theophany unto yourself. Let's pray and then we'll do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for your presence and your faithfulness in our life. Continue to be as we take steps of faith, as we, uh, as we do in our tradition, get baptized once again. May you uh, move with us, change us. Show us that the impossible is possible. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.